Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men de-reconstructing the South. So last time we were talking about civil government. What does scripture say about civil government? What kinds of governments there are? And where does government authority come from? So we spoke about uh, the four different types of governments we spoke about were republics, democracies, tanistries, and a secular dictatorship, which um, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think most of the governments in the 20th century have been secular dictatorships. Um, in some form or the I'm, other. Right. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as a complete absolute, but I'm pretty sure it's uh, quite common. Most governments that I hear, I hear of are, are secular dictatorships, as we're defining them. Um, and so we kind of talked about the pros and cons of them. Uh, I, I think I did make a jab or two about libertarianism during that episode, but um, I, I'm going to I'm going to kind of bring it bring it in here and just talk about libertarianism and kind of how it contrasts to these other forms of government. Um, is there anything you want to say as like a preamble, Travis? Yeah, so with libertarianism, it seems to be... Hold on. <coughs> so with libertarianism, it seems to be like a default position for men, especially, you know, rural men, southern men, um, you know, the more manly type of men. Um, it seems to be where where we kind of find a center, where we're, we're kind of in our lane and just going with the flow type thing. Because in, in all reality, nobody really goes to libertarianism at first by the philosophical standards it, it preaches or the, the main ends. It, people just want to be left alone, especially men. Like, we just want, we just want to grill, dang it. That's all we want. And, um... <laughs> I sympathize with that because that's why I was a libertarian. Um, I just wanted to be left alone like I wasn't going to be the one going out there and causing mischief. But on the other hand, there there will always be a power vacuum that needs to be filled. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anytime we're talking about libertarianism, it, it's, it's kind of a touchy subject because I know not all libertarians are you know, Rothbardian or whatever. A lot of people are just, yeah, I just, I just have libertarian bents. I just want to be left alone. And, um, but yeah, anyways. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in that area of, you know, I, the whole, I just, you know, no, no step on snack kind of crowd. Um, front porch nationalism, barbecue, grill nationalism, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's that was a, a big portion of my bend in that direction um, as far as subject matters to talk about when it comes to the philosophy and the approach of libertarianism my the, the appeal that libertarianism had to me 
was more to do with the corruption and the disregard of the proper use of authority that even me as a you know an ignorant 16 or 17 year old could see happening right in front of me and so I, <clears throat> just as a, a forewarning to everybody this will kind of be a uh, beating a dead horse <laughs> uh, episode uh, but I'm going to get a little bit into the details here because it's really important that we understand some of the influences of libertarianism, where it came from, and why it's why it's it's a it's a very much bait and switch ideology. Um, now I could point, um. And I would highly recommend, if, if you have the mind for it, go watch uh, Academic Agents Takedown of Libertarianism. Uh, it was an excellent, it's an excellent, I think, two hours of your time. If you're deeply invested in libertarianism, this would be a good resource for you to really think about what you're doing when you say, I believe in the libertarian ideals. So, libertarianism kind of stands aside from the other forms of governments that we've talked about already, republics, democracies, tanistries, and secular dictatorships, um, because they really don't see authority as having any higher source aside from personal ownership. We're going to touch more in-depth on this later. Um, but, for instance, you know your republics and your democracies. Uh, republics have a uh, form of uh, aristocracy that will do a lot of your governing for you. They operate as magistrates. Um, oftentimes, you could elect, for instance, your sheriff or um, you know some other law enforcement magistrate, uh, but by and large, your your higher ups, um, you know, if if you want to go back to uh, the most common place for the republic, which was Italy, most of the time those places were were operated and governed by uh, a group of heads of families that were all from very wealthy uh, aristocratic backgrounds and they held authority in those areas because they were seen as more competent than the average man. Uh, they differed a little bit. Uh, this Libertarianism differs from democracies because it doesn't believe that the common vote should have sway on the individual. Um, you know, just because a, a large group of people, this will be kind of the argument that a libertarian will give, just because a large group of people want you to do a certain thing doesn't mean they have the right to make you do it. Um, and so they would reject democracy as a format simply because, well, you don't have any authority over me. But by the way, that is a very compelling argument. 
and I don't think it's completely it is, yeah. all invalid because it, take take America for instance, just because um, 151 million people voted, you know, right, 300 million people half half plus one percent votes to take away, you know, your 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 religious freedoms or your right to bear arms. Um, that still does not give them the authority. So, in a sense, I agree with it, but at the same time, I don't think a libertarian has the foundation to actually say that. Um, um, yeah, that's that's definitely a huge issue, and you you have to weigh these things. Um, you know, we're we're going to get into some of the epistemological issues. So, so when we're talking about a tanistry compared to a libertarianism. Um, it's different because libertarianism, if you go down to the actual root principle, uh, you do not owe your family anything, even though they got you to where you are now. Um, so so you owe your grandparents nothing. You owe your parents nothing, even though they raised you for, you know, 20 years and then set you on good groundings and sent you all out on your way. You don't owe them anything, so you are morally obligated to do nothing. Uh, but if you're a really good kid, you might want to throw them in a nursing home so they'll rot away to nothing. But anyways, that, that's the uh, in versus compared to a tanistry style um, style governance is you owe your family everything, and in turn your family also owes you everything. So it's kind of a symbiotic relationship there, where you know you you might want to look after your grandparents because you know your grandchildren are going to be taking care of you. Because you're going to be the head of this this clan that you've created, and that gives you more power, you know, not more authority, I guess, not more power, but you you have more authority over what you, what's been given to you. And under libertarianism, none of that's been given to you, right? Right. So with with libertarianism, you have inherently as part of your being the right to everything that you earn. Um, and the first thing that you earn is self-ownership. By simply being, you have the right to self-ownership. So that, that would be the foundations of libertarian principle, which be, I own myself, therefore you don't have the right. Any violation of my person, my liberty, is actually a violation of my property rights. That would be how a libertarian would view this. That's also, you know, if I'm bringing it into a theological context, it's also very Pelagian. Like... You know, Very much so, yeah. You 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 are in charge of yourself. Not maybe not Pelagian, but antinomian and Pelagianism to a certain degree. But you you have you are a free agent, therefore you can go out and accomplish whatever you want because nothing but what you earn actually matters. So you can be anything you want, Johnny. Right, yeah. And with um with the, with the the different flavors that you have within libertarianism uh, as a as a whole um, discipline uh, as a as a philosophical position, um, it could be a perfect match with uh, Pelagianism, or it could be a perfect match with Gnosticism. Um, there's always going to be a tension in someone's way of viewing things if they're libertarian and they're Christian, even if they don't recognize that tension or they resolve that tension in an invalid way. Um, that was my way of handling it. I just improperly, you know, dealt with 
um, either the text or my libertarianism, and that messed one of them up, right? So you can't really balance those properly. But one of the things that uh, people often, you know, another valid argument that you know the libertarians use is that, especially the Christian libertarians, is that if man is corrupt, taking power out of the corrupt men in office is somehow going to fix that as if there's not going to be a vacuum left, you know, left un, you know, unmanned, uh, if you will, um, in this place that you just sucked all this power from. Like, at the, at the end of the day, like, libertarianism has to devolve down into a dictatorship by necessity because yeah, it, who's going to enforce the, the, the non-aggression principle, right? Who's going to enforce this? Right. And it's going to be whoever whoever gets the most results, whoever the free market decides to put up there. And it's going to be basically like, you know, like kind of like a mafia, you know? Um, That's exactly what it ends up yeah. being, yeah. Um, and, and libertarians, you know, myself included, would lie to themselves about this, still do lie to themselves about this. Um, you know, the, the, at a very ground level and even at a community level, I think libertarianism is workable. Um, but at the city state or the national level, it's completely unworkable. Uh, you would have to have uh, regional tribalism in order for it to work. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing per se, but I'm also saying that if there were regional and tribal levels of this, uh, ideology um, well then you would have to you, you would have to have other applications of force uh, i.e. violence according to libertarianism in order to make it work because once you disrupt the community well then you would disrupt, disrupt their ability to govern themselves and so you'd have to have um, and, and this is getting into a, a more meta-level criticism of libertarianism as a as a philosophical position, but um, there's no... There are no positive rights. You don't have the right to anything. And that includes having a right to a culture. This is very, 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 very important. Um, the libertarians that I know, if they are not advocating for open borders because most of them do. Um, if they are not advocating for open borders, will actively tell you that um, a culture which cannot defend itself from foreigners invading its land does not, in, does not deserve to live. Um, and so what this means effectively is that no culture deserves to live. Because no culture that's not going to give violence to defend itself is going to be able to handle itself. And any culture that is going to sustain itself, that is going to perpetuate itself, is going to have to use violence to do that. Because there's going to be people who operate counterculture for no other reason than they can. And if you allow that as a principle... To just say, well, anybody can come in, it doesn't matter who you are, and criticize. Well, then you open yourself up for disintegration. Well, we see that already today. I mean, 
granted right. this isn't libertarian per se but but it, it's a leftist ta- tactic no doubt i mean it, because when we look at the demographic displacement of america from what it was in the 1950s then we are you know one we're we're living less in that you know libertarian utopia that we want to live in we're actually becoming more authoritarian and and also those that want to live free are their vote is becoming weakened you know by every election cycle because there's more that people that are outvoting them that vote bondage basically um right yeah and i you know it kind of goes into the whole recentering of things like you mentioned that on a small scale it might would work like so my community could live very libertarianly because we are of you know one mind we're alike and um so we're going to do things to progress our community forward in in so that we're you know we have we're more free and we're also advancing with the times type you know right but if you don't have a cohesive community like all 50 states of America you know that's not going to work because there's going to be so much infighting and and so many different cultures mishmashing that they're going to be pulling in all different directions and before before too long if say we were you know 50 libertarian states all spread out across you know this continent then we're going to have to fraction and and divide which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing but it's going to leave leave us wide open for foreign invaders also um like literal foreign invaders well even according to the libertarian system the state level would not be valid either right um a republic really is not valid uh to come to the proper conclusion and you can have people with libertarian tendencies um but to be f- philosophically consistent as a libertarian you have to be an anarchist uh the ancaps are right about this fellers uh all you listening who are libertarian or libertarian leaning the ancaps are right about this to philosophically be consistent with libertarianism you have to be an anarchist and it's the same exact an- uh type of anarchism that uh uh general lee warned about and was trying to resist when he originally advocated for the union before seceding. Um, if, if you just allow people to break down for no other reason than they wanted to break down, well, then you don't have any reason to hold together as a cohesive social unit. And if you don't have that, you don't have a country. Uh, you're just a, a group of individuals. It's atomization, which is exactly what we have today. Uh, frankly, we have atomization of, of the populace. Very Semitic in culture because they're constantly drifting around and being vagabonds. <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. And, yeah. and, but there's, there's always this, this coalescing tribe that, that you know, is no matter where you go, you can just kind of plug and play. Um, right. You know, if, you, if you're a leftist, then once you move to wherever, you might have lost your entire tribe, but there's another one that you're going to fit in like a puzzle piece because you've been crafted that way. Um, anyways, I'm kind of and they, well, they, they, well, no, but I mean, it gives your, your personality and your nationality enough ambiguity where you could literally go to a third world country and still fit in. You know, this is, this is where you get people who go to other countries and are, Oh, they're just like us. It's like, no, they're really not. <laughs> they're really not just like us. 
Um, they're, they're different culturally. They do things differently. And of course you can go over there and respect their customs and, uh, they're not less human because they live differently. And it could be that some of their customs are good. It could be that some of their customs are great customs and they, they do things in a good way. That's, that's right for them, their climate, their people group. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're just like us. Uh, there's commonality amongst all men, but then there's also distinctions between men and tribes and nations. And these are good distinctions that we should we should honor and, and respect. Unlike the atomized people, I I, um, I don't think I would fit in in even a southern state like uh, Virginia or South Carolina. Um, maybe South Carolina. I don't know. But anyways, uh, I, I, I think I, I would fit in South Carolina. But I had trouble in North Carolina. Like yeah. not 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 with the specific church I was going to, but definitely with the state as a whole, uh, they just do things very differently. And I, I was not, I was not keen on the way they do things. Uh, that doesn't mean South Carolinians are bad. So anybody from uh, North Carolinians, don't get mad at me. People from North Carolina. Uh, I'm just used to a different kind of folk. It's, it's no problem. Yeah. I mean, but th that's the thing though. Like you, you were not an atomized individual that could just, you know, be plucked out of the swamps of Mississippi and and stuck in you know somewhere in the mountains in North Carolina, and you're not gonna you're not plug and play like that, you know. Whereas right. the the standard American that has no home is plug and play like that, you know. They literally own nothing and they are happy because they've been they've been engineered in such a way that they can fit in no matter where they go and be perfectly all right with it. Yeah, and and even talking about stuff like you know, ownership of land. Uh, and I don't mean like I own this house or I own this, that they've got, you know, the area I was in, they have, you know, one to five acre plots. Um, but it, not that kind of ownership, but we as a people own this land. That, that kind of talk up there was, I got weird looks for that all, all the time, all over the place. Um, and when I would talk about, Missing Mississippi. I miss the people of Mississippi. I miss the pine trees. I miss the, um, you know, you you stop at the, you stop at the supermarket and get some food and start talking to the cashier and you guys are, you know, twenty minutes into a conversation and the guy behind you in line is not even mad because he joined in too, um, you know that that kind of stuff is. I know that's not you know, isolated to Mississippi, but it's something that, the kind of conversation and the the kind of people that you're having a conversation with varies very much between North Carolina and Mississippi. And so it was just different. And there's not really a way that I can uh, fully verbalize the difference. It's just a feeling of, of interaction where it's a different kind of people. Um, and so when I would talk about how I missed Mississippi, uh, I, I got some weird looks about that one too, because you know? <laughs> Uh, they they said that uh, Mississippi is the only state that they know of where people talk like that on a regular basis. Which I know it's a little sad to be to be honest. <laughs> uh, more people ought to ought to love their place and their people. Tangent. Sorry, guys. Um, so what what libertarianism really promises as a whole is freedom. And that's that's the promise. And freedom 
is very specific to the to to the libertarian and it is economic freedom you have the right to buy and sell whatever you want within the market and let the the hidden hand of the market be the guide of what you can buy and sell um and it promises that if you uh follow libertarianism and you act rationally, then you will be able to have real freedom. And all this requires is a breakdown of the authorities that are given over you that libertarianism sees as illegitimate. That is the promise. Um, and so then, then that goes into the philosophy. They're basically just Republicans who want to smoke pot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, uh, it's the economy, stupid. Well, I mean, I, you know, uh, that, that kind of gets into the whole philosophy of what is actually freedom. You know, we would define freedom very different than the libertarian. Um, though, yes. Though I would have defined it the same way back then, I still I, I meant back then what I mean today when I have better understood the language behind it all and. How I would define it now is freedom from degeneracy, right? Like freedom from, you know, um, freedom from a sinful society. And, and in, in, honestly, I mean, I think that should be the every Christian's goal. And it's yeah. not a freedom to do something. Like everybody's like, oh yeah, we have a freedom to, a freedom to. Well, I mean, it's the most recent example of freedom to kill our babies. You know, that is right. libertarianism right there in a nutshell. Um, the only pro, pro or the only consistent libertarianism would have had to been a pro-choice libertarianism because it's no different than kicking out a renter. Yeah, and, and before anybody thinks that he's making a, a um, uh, over-aggressive statement or a straw man, um, go read v, uh, uh, Ludwig von Mises on this specific topic. Uh, there's a huge thing within libertarianism called evictionism. And uh, the idea is that the baby that you have birthed is actually an invader into your, into your body. And you have the right to evict them. Uh, that does not mean that you have the right to kill them because they... You know, they have the right to liberty, life, and property. So you don't have the right to uh, kill them, but you do have the right to remove them, even if that eventuates into their death. Uh, so you don't have the right to, you know, kill them in the womb, but you do have the right to take them out of your belly and put them on the sidewalk and walk away. That's what you have the right to do. And... uh Mises made this argument pretty clearly. Uh, I think Rothbard made a very similar similar argument. Um, this is not something that's, you know, per se settled within the libertarian community. Um, but this is one of those foundational issues where I hear normally, you know, quote unquote, good Christian men having a conversation about evictionism and what's legitimate under this philosophy 
And my one question was, where do you find that in Scripture, dude? Uh, not only is Scripture opposed to that thought, you abandoning your child is abhorrent. Why would you even entertain that, even philosophically? But if you're following libertarianism, you have to entertain that. And to be fair to some of our Christian libertarians, you know, we were, you know, the ones that we were friends with and they just haven't grown up. Um, we, we understand that there's a lot of inconsistent Christian libertarians. Um, but at the same, at the end of the day, like this is where that ideology leads to is you have to right. define the nap according to secular terminology instead of what God has said. And therefore you're putting a, um, a, a law over God's moral law. Um, mm -hmm. and you have to, you know, it goes back to the whole question of has God really said? And yeah, yeah, he has clearly. You know, um. right, and and you know the non-aggression principle for the uninitiated, if we want to say it that way, uh, the the NAP, the NAP, um, uh, essentially the non-aggression principle says that you do not have the right to initiate aggression. So it's not that you don't have the right to aggression. Period. It's not a it's not a pacifism. It means that you don't have the right to initiate <clears throat> aggression. Uh, how they define aggression is any form of physical harm. So this goes back to the the whole idea of you know personal property rights and how an individual owns their own body. Uh, that's that's a huge part of libertarianism is self ownership. And so the entire philosophy starts off with the non-aggression principle. You have the right to yourself, but you do not have the right to initiate aggression to somebody else. Um, and then from that flows your natural negative rights. So natural meaning they're intrinsic or inherent to what you are. Negative meaning that they are not positive rights. You do not have the right to. You have the right from so I do not have the right to this money. I have the right from someone taking my money. It may sound like um, uh, a little bit of uh, sophism there, but that's, that's actually a very important distinction. Um, and then the right, it means that you are within your rights or you have a legitimate authority to use aggression to defend those rights. And those rights are liberty, life, and property. Uh, liberty being freedom of action. Life, meaning your person and health. And then property, including yourself, the ownership of anything that you've built, developed, or acquired legitimately with your own hands. Um, so... Libertarianism as a philosophy kind of comes from a wide berth of um, writers and readers. Um, it's, it's very closely related to the idea of the classical liberal. Um, and that I, I fluctuated between libertarianism and classical liberal for quite a while. 
just because they're pretty close to one another. Um, some would say they're almost a distinction without a difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and in some ways they are. Uh, there's some subtle differences. Uh, classical liberals are much more um, social pacty. <laughs> if that makes any sense, yeah. uh, they they would they would more a- advocate or allow a social pact than you know, the libertarians. Libertarians are much more atomized. But what you see is that the the classical liberals eventually degenerate into libertarians. Um, the 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 main speakers, the main idea pushers. It develops out of classical liberalism into libertarianism, and there's very few classical liberals, like actual classical liberals nowadays. Um, but I want to read a quick excerpt of uh, the Law by Fre- Frederick Bastiat, and it's actually the opening of his book essay. And this is the book that really convinced me of libertarianism because it makes a very succinct argument for what man is, a, a, a libertarian anthropology, if you will. Uh, so <clears throat> it starts with the law perverted and the police powers of the states and the police powers of the state perverted along with it. The law, I say, not only turned from its proper purpose, but made to follow an entirely contrary purpose. The law became a weapon of every kind of greed. Instead of checking crime, the law itself, guilty of the evils it is supposed to punish. If this is true, it is a serious fact, and a moral duty requires me to call the attention of my fellow citizens to it. We behold from God the gift which includes all others. This gift is life, physical, intellectual, and moral life. But life cannot maintain itself. The creator of life has entrusted us with the responsibility of preserving, developing, and perfecting it. In order that we may accomplish this, he has provided us with a collection of marvelous faculties. He has put us in the midst of a variety of natural resources. By the application of our facilities, by the, the, the application of our faculties on these natural resources, we convert them into products and use them. This process is necessary in order that life may run its appointed course. Life, faculties, production. In other words, individuality, liberty, property. This is man. And in spite of the cunning and artful political leaders, these three gifts from God precede all human legislation and are superior to it. Life, liberty, and property do not exist because men have made laws. On the contrary, it was the fact that life, liberty, and property existed beforehand that caused men to make laws in the first place. So this is a a libertarian anthropology in a nutshell. Um, now, you know, Bastiat is appealing to God here. Uh, he is a, he is specifically saying that we get these faculties from God, and their exercise is because God is a God of life, and to further life, we have to do these things. Um, but if you remove God from that, the the fundamental anthropology here is the same with a secular form of libertarianism. Well, so so the thing is, is whenever I was always thinking about the classical liberal of 
or classic, you know, the classical liberal ideas of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or life, liberty, and property. Um, I always rooted those in the Ten Commandments. And uh, to kind of tie it back into, like, the natural and negative rights um, ideal is, you know, thou shalt not murder. Well, that's a very clear, you know, positive prohibition against something. But on the opposite end of that is that you have many um, unsaid rights. Well, uh, well, not not unsaid rights, but unsaid commands. So you're supposed to preserve life when at all possible. You're you're not supposed to... um, you know, to to cause your your neighbor to to fall and you know to get killed, right? And right. So so whereas I would be basing that on God has said, the libertarian would just be like, well, these are just self evident truths, you know. Like you know, um, basically what I'm saying is is that at least Bastiat was consistent in rooting these rights in God and not just in some abstract materialism, which I don't believe you can actually defend having those rights, you know? Right, yeah, for sure. And and to be fair, I mean, in a, in a practical and tangible sense, I think there's some wisdom in the way that he's framing this. I think it is a vast oversimplicate... It is a vast oversimplification in a highly materialistic way of looking at man. Where man is simply a thing to be owned by himself, and other things are meant to be owned by him. And he even he talks about individualism, but you know, even in individualism, there's a lot of vagary in there. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, of, of Immanuel Kant when he opens his his book on the metaphysics and he just says oh well you know the foundations for any of the stuff i'm going to say i'm going to leave that to the metaphysicians to figure out huh. <laughs> you know uh so he he starts off with a fundamental premise and then he doesn't even bother to define it or to to justify it validate it as a as a foundational principle um, and so I, I kind of see these as two different coins of the same mindset. Um, whereas Immanuel Kant was was dealing with a thing as such. So uh, to kind of break that down is you want to interact with the essence of a thing um, absent any of your own personal opinion or input. He was dealing strictly with the idea of whatever it is you're you're trying to interact with. Whereas Bastiat's coming at this entirely from a mechanical sense, where he's saying, this is not man as such, this is man as applied. This is man as a mechanism in the world. And he adds some hints of, um, you know, individuality or, you know, agency in there, but he's not dealing with the, the law as he conceives it, uh, does not deal with that it doesn't deal with who you are it deals with what you do entirely um and i and i don't i'm i don't believe that anymore i think it should include who you are um if you've been given much much should be required of you and the punishments for crimes should be much higher the more uh 
authority that you have or the more power that you have to execute your ideas. Yeah, I mean, and it's... You can't do that if it, if you're an atomistic unit. Um, right. So, so libertarianism doesn't work because we are born into a family, and then we have certain duties to that family. We have certain rights that are associated with that family that I do not have rights anywhere else. Like, I cannot just go walking into my neighbor's house because I don't have the right to do that, but I have the right to go in my house. Um... Oh, yeah. So, so with, with family comes rights, and these rights cannot be understood from a purely materialistic or naturalistic basis. Um, they just they just can't because some of these are more um, ethereal than others. They're they're not concrete, if you will. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's more ethereal. I think there are spiritual obligations that you have especially when it comes to family um as a father for instance i have a moral obligation to teach my children they are owed that and god requires that of me and that teaching is not just reading writing reading writing and arithmetic that's also i need to teach them the word of god i'm supposed to catechize my children so if i'm not doing that and i am neglecting my children in that way, then I am harming my children, and I should be held responsible for that. Now, the means of doing that, the specific realm of governance that's supposed to deal with that would more be the church or other family and wouldn't be the state, but that's still something that I should be held to account for. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at SouthernRaisedBluegrass.com. God bless y'all. Steve.